said, I will just give you a heads up. If you haven't grabbed one of these cups from the foyer, you're welcome to grab one now. I won't be offended if you leave and come back, but as long as you come back. Um, but we will be doing communion, but that'll be coming just a little bit later. And uh, I hope as we go through our sermon today, you're going to see why that is. Um, and, uh, and many of you remember, we used to do it at the end, and things have changed. We've done it at the beginning. It doesn't really matter when we do it. It's an opportunity to remember Jesus and his gospel. And so uh, we are going to do that a little bit later. Uh, but before we get there, we've got some things to talk about as we come to God's word today together. So this is missions emphasis, uh, fall missions emphasis. Uh, and uh, I was asked, as Justin was last week, to, uh, to give a message, uh, give a sermon that would relate to missions work. And so um, I think today what we're going to look at, uh, at first thought as you look at this, you may think this isn't really missions related. It's going to seem like we're going back to the very basics. It's going to seem like maybe we're going back to elementary school in some ways. But today we're going to talk about the message of missions. In other words, what is it that missions is preaching? What is the message that missions is meant to bring to the world? Because missions is, it can be defined so broadly in today's world, what does that even mean? And we're going to look at that today as we look through uh, scripture specifically, and then also draw some inferences and some implications from what the Bible says the message of missions should be. And the message of missions is really no different than the message of all Christianity, which is the very core of why we're here and what we believe, and that is going to be the gospel, and we're going to talk about that today. But a little bit of review, if you think back to last week, uh, Pastor Justin came up and talked about how worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. That the, the whole reason that missions uh, has to happen is because worship isn't happening the way it should. And as we worship, it'll fuel us to go forward into mission, and it'll also then, as we live in mission and bring the message of the mission, then the goal will be worship. But today, I want to think about just drawing it back a little bit, and, and Pastor Justin did say this last week, and I'm just going to like expand upon it, but since this is true, that worship is the fuel and goal of missions, the question we're going to ask today then is, what is the fuel and goal of worship? If worship is the fuel and goal of missions, then what is the fuel and goal of worship? What fuels us to worship God, and what, as we worship God, will be the end result? And the answer to that is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. Now, keep in mind uh, that the gospel is, is what gives life. It is the power that brings salvation, as, Rome, as Romans 1 would tell us. But since this is true, if the gospel is the fuel and the goal of worship, and the point of that is, is that as we understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us, as we understand that truth, and then we respond to it and it transforms our lives, as that gospel happens, what will happen naturally will be worship. We will worship God, we will worship Jesus, we will give him uh, the worth that he is due. And then also as uh, we, worship, uh, we worship God so that other people will also be drawn into the same gospel message. And so we're going to look at today, since this is true, what is the gospel first of all? And then what are its implications for missions? What is the gospel, and what are its implications for missions? And so question one, we're going to ask this. What is the gospel message? Now before some of you say, all right, I know this, time to take a nap. Uh, Before some of you say, I already know this, why am I even here? 
I want to really challenge us to really consider if we truly understand the gospel in its fullness. Uh, Or if we talk about the gospel a lot, and we talk about Jesus a lot, but I don't know if all of us truly understand all the pieces that come together that really is the gospel. And even if you do know all of that, as many of you have participated in uh, different groups in this church, we've been saying over and over again, even if you do understand the gospel, you must continually rehearse it to yourself because it is the fuel for life. The gospel does not just get us into heaven. It's not just the springboard that we dive into the pool in. The gospel is the pool. It's all of Scripture. That is, it's all, that's all what it is. That's all of life is the gospel, and we go to it, and it can change us. It renews us. It encourages us. It strengthens us. It, it convicts us. All of the things that we need on a daily basis. Yes, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save the world, and that we receive that gospel, and that saves us, but it continues to help us live. So the gospel needs to be true to all of us. So don't just check out because you think you know what the gospel is, or even if you truly do know what the gospel is, that somehow it's not for you. It's for every single one of us. And Paul is actually going to say that in our passage today. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 is where we're going to be. And uh, so let's read that and I'll say a few things. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verses 1 through 4. Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We're going to stop there today, and Paul goes on and talks about a lot here, and we're going to, we're going to Jump back into 1 Corinthians 15 at some point. We're going to jump around in Scripture today. Uh, and just so you're aware and you're looking at this, there is no PowerPoint today. So uh, be, on, be on you ready. Okay, get your pens out, whatever. Um, it's going to be kind of, we're going to be meandering a little bit, and that's on purpose. Okay, we're going to be looking at a lot of things through Scripture today to point us to the gospel. And so keep up, do your best, take notes as best you can. Or if that really bothers you because you get too distracted like me, then just listen. Uh, really well, okay? Because there's a lot we're going to get to today. And as we talk about what is the gospel message, Paul starts by saying, I want to remind you, brothers, these are people, this is a church that he's writing to, and I want to, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to remind ourselves as a church of the gospel that's been preached to us. The gospel that many of us have received, the gospel that many of us have said, yes, I'm going to respond to Jesus and be saved uh, the, the gospel that Paul says, not only did you receive in the past, but you also stand right now. That we, the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us to stand right where we're at. And then finally, he says not only that, but the, and by which you are being saved. The idea is, is this is a continual thing. The gospel continually works out in our lives. And Paul is making it clear that the gospel is for those who don't know Jesus, but it's also for those who do. And we're going to break down three pieces here in 1 Corinthians 15 as we talk about what the gospel is. And as we do that, it's going to be much bigger than maybe we think. Now, to look at this right off the bat, we would say, okay, the gospel, he says what it is, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he raised on the third day. 
Now, I would say that this is true. The gospel is that, that is the very, very core of the gospel. Jesus uh, Christ came to the earth, which is the idea he can't, have done, he can't die without doing that. He died for our sins to bring us forgiveness for sins, that he buried, he was truly dead, and that he rose again the third day. This is the core historical part of the gospel, that Jesus came, died, and rose again for us to be forgiven of our sins. And we could stop it right there. And some people would say the gospel is one word. The gospel is Jesus. And I would say, in a very real sense, that's true. Jesus is the gospel. By the way, what does gospel mean if we're not familiar with that? Good news. What is the good news? Well, Jesus is the good news. Sure, that Jesus came, died, rose again, that is good news. But to just isolate it and say, well, that's all we need to know of the gospel... We're missing out on the fullness and richness of the gospel that is in God's word. And Paul's actually going to draw our attention to that in just a moment. But I feel like a lot of us, when we're asked what the gospel is, we say, well, Jesus died for my sins. That's where it stays. Some of us might say, well, Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And and as I said, those those are core truths that we need to hold on to. But I, I think we need to plumb the depths of the gospel a little bit more to really understand what it's all about. Here's what I would say. I told some people I would do this this week. It's that time of year. Hallmark movies, so it's, my, it's, it's time, if you guys have been looking forward to it. Um, but to just isolate the gospel at these core, core elements here and just bring it down to what Jesus did and where he's at, that's, that's all true. But it's almost like deciding that I'm just going to watch a Hallmark movie and just watch the last 10 minutes. From the kiss to everything gets made right to happily ever after. Let's just skip the other, uh, you know, uh, hour and, and 50 minutes and just watch the 10 and just be done with it. That Okay, I'm happy. I watched a 10-minute movie. Nobody does that even though you know everything that's going to happen in the first 15 minutes or whatever it is. I get that, right? We, it's the same movie every time. But the point is, if we just jump right to the last 10 minutes, we're missing all the stuff that comes before, which makes what happens in that last 10 minutes even better. Right? Okay, you can watch the last 10 minutes and say, okay, two people kissed, they're happy, they're going to live happily ever after, and they found the love they've always wanted. Okay, Great, that's good news. But we don't quite understand why or how that came about and that it, it falls flat. In the same way, I believe that's how we treat the gospel many times. We focus in on what happens in the gospels. You know, it's called the gospels, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we say, these, this is what happened. This is Jesus. He's the good news. And what he's done is the good news. And that is all true. But we then fail to really look around and say, let's, let's beef that up. Let's really look at what the gospel really is all about so that we get beyond just that and see there's so much more to it. And that comes even, Paul says, that Christ died, and what does he say? According to the scriptures. Christ rose again, according to the scriptures. And so I want to isolate that, that for a second, and we're just going to do a little bit of a, a fast journey through the scriptures. See, what Paul is saying is that we know what salvation is through Christ because of the scriptures, because of the Bible. And keep in mind, what Paul has is the Bible right now, the Old Testament. What we're seeing is that the whole Bible, according to the scriptures, points to this gospel that Paul has been preaching. The whole gospel, or the whole scriptures, point to it. In fact, you'll see this in other places in scripture. Uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, I love this passage. By the way, I know you can tell my voice is not great today. I appreciate your grace. But 
um, as we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, and uh, actually, I'm sorry, it's 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and we look here uh, at verses 14 and 15. I love this passage. It says, but as for you, and he's ta- Paul is talking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the scriptures. And it says this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So here again, we see Paul saying, what, does it, what brings you to faith in Christ Jesus? Well, it's the scriptures. It's the Bible. So then the question we've got to ask is, how does the Bible point us to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus? Even Jesus himself in Luke 24 and John 5 would tell people, if you want to know the gospel, if you want to know what eternal life is, it's all about me, and you can see that from every page of scripture through all the law and all the prophets. And so what does the Bible say that will help us understand and appreciate the gospel even more? Well, we go right back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, and we see that God is the holy creator. He is the holy creator and ruler of the world. So we're going to do a little bit of a Bible survey right now. Uh, we see right in the book of Genesis, God enters the scene. He creates the world. He's a holy God that is separate from all else. And he's, so he's holy. And so as he's separate and as he's creator, he is also ruler. He has made everything and therefore he rules over the universe. And in his creation, he creates mankind. He creates people. And he creates everything as very good, as we're told in Genesis 1 and 2. And as he rules this world that he created, he also invites people then to join him in ruling over the world. We are made in God's image, as as Genesis 1 and 2 say, so that we can represent God to the world we live in and we can have dominion over the world that he has created. And so we are meant to live in a relationship with God and we are meant to be stewards of the earth that God has created. That's what we see in the book of Genesis right at the very beginning. God is a holy creator who rules over the world, who has created all things, including people, to be in his image, to be in a relationship with him, and to steward the earth well. That is what we see right at the very beginning of Scripture. Then what we see as we jump into Genesis chapter 3 is after we see that God is the holy creator and ruler of the world, and by the way, notice that that's present tense. God is the creator We don't talk about God was the creator, like somehow he existed then, but now he doesn't anymore. He is still a living, real God. We see that throughout scripture. God is the holy creator and ruler of the world, number one. Number two, we see right after that, Genesis chapter three, mankind, people, are sinful and are in need of saving. Man is sinful and in need of saving. Adam and Eve are, are the first people, they enter the scene, they are representatives of all mankind, and what they choose to do is to rebel against God's rule. They sin. They say to God, we're not going to do things your way, we're going to rebel. This is treason. They are committing treason against the king of the world, the creator of the world. And as we remember the story, this, the serpent comes and says, hey, you need to eat of this tree that God had said not for them to eat of, but they failed to believe what God had said and believed the serpent instead. And then in pride, because they wanted to do what they wanted to do to to feel good and to be right in their own eyes, they took what God had told them not to, and they rebelled against him. That's what Adam and Eve did, and we are told through Scripture. Romans 5.12 tells us this, and several other places. Ephesians chapter 2 will also tell us this, that as a result of Adam and Eve, that first sin, that rebellious nature that became a part of them is also a part of all people for all time. 
And so therefore we are destined to be objects of God's wrath, as Ephesians chapter 2 would tell us. We have all bought into the rebellious, treasonous attitude of sin. It's not just about the fact that we've done bad things. That's, all, that's also true. But it's the very heart of who we are, that we are rebellious. And we, we, we live in unbelief. We live in rebellion and we live in pride. That is what we see through the early pages of Scripture. And then all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see this continuing. And we see that God's wrath is, is going to come into the scene here. God's righteous wrath that says, I must, I must punish treason. I must punish rebellion. God is going to punish. His wrath is, has to be done. And he's going to uh, bring his wrath by bringing death to the world, by bringing death to his people. And the word death, uh, as we think about this, this is not just about us dying on this earth, but this is an eternal term. That this is an eternal separation from a relationship with God. Remember, we were created to be in a perfect relationship with God, and that has now been broken, and therefore we will suffer death, a separation from the relationship that we were meant to have with God. And that would be an eternal separation that, yes, would be eternal pain, suffering, and misery in hell. That is what we're told in all the Old Testament through the book of Genesis, that God created things. He created people. People sinned. People now deserve death. And then the rest of the Old Testament, and I know this is a big picture, right? The rest of the Old Testament really tells us, it shows God using people to do great things, yes, but it shows people over and over again trying over and over again to save themselves from God's wrath. But they can't do it. They keep trying. Judges, kings, prophets, doesn't matter. The people of Israel, they all fail at doing what God has called them to do, which is to live in perfect harmony with him, and it can't be done. They keep trying to save themselves. They keep trying to escape God's wrath through their own power, but it can't be done. And so the rest of the Old Testament says it can't be done, but there is one who is coming who will save his people from their sin and save people from the wrath of God. There is a Messiah coming. There is a Lord coming. There is a King coming that is going to take what man can't fix and he's going to fix it. That is what we're told through the whole Old Testament. And so then we're going to enter the New Testament in just a moment. But as we understand what the Old Testament is all about, we can't just divorce this and say, we're just going to read the New Testament. We're just going to watch the last 10 minutes of the movie. That's not how this works. Like God has given us all his word, all of it. He's given it to us all, and it all points to Jesus. It all points to salvation through Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I don't know if it's going to help, but we're going to try. Jesus is like a cup of cold water when your voice is at the end of its rope. But, that, but as we think about the Old Testament, I, just, I want us to get the feel of if, if we read the Old Testament, how we would be left with this longing for someone to come and make things right. Uh, many of you have seen the video from uh, New Tribes Mission, the Yembe Yembe video. That, uh, they talk about how they go creation to cross and how they teach the people as they go through the Bible about everything that happens in the Old Testament, and then every time they get to a new story, the people are always like, is this the one? Is this the one that God is going to send to make things right? And the missionaries have to keep saying, no, not yet, not yet. You just keep waiting. 
I want us to have that tension. Like, who's the one that's going to do this? Everything is messed up. There's no hope, but there is one coming who's going to bring hope. Who is that, and when will he come? And then the New Testament comes in. And so when Paul says, according to the Scriptures, let's not forget about everything that we've already seen God show us. The Old Testament is not just a group of stories to make us entertained. The Old Testament is not just a group of uh, you know, narratives to help us to learn how we should live. The Old Testament is there to show us our need for a Savior and to point us to Jesus. And so according to the Scriptures, that's where the Gospel is found. If you want to know Jesus and you want to know the Gospel, you want to know how to have eternal life, read the Word of God. But then we do enter the New Testament. And Paul enters here by saying, Christ died for our sins and was buried. According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins and was buried. We see that Christ, the promised Messiah, the promised King that would set all things right, indeed shows up. Christ, the Messiah, shows up into history and he would save his people from their sin. We remember this even as we think about Christmas. Remember, what the gospel is good news. What do the angels say to the shepherds? I bring you good news of great joy. A Savior has been born. And that is where we enter the New Testament. The Old Testament has got us ready for this moment. It's like the the first part of the movie that's got us to that tension point and now the 10 minutes is about to start. Everything is going to be brought to a resolution and it comes through Jesus. Christ, the promised Messiah that would save their people from sin is here. He came as God in the flesh. We're told that in John 1.14. God himself comes as man to set all things right and to save us from sin, from the rebellion and the heart of unbelief that people have. In order to do that, Jesus, and this isn't said here, but we understand this through looking at the New Testament, looking through the gospel message, the gospel books, uh, that he had to live a perfectly obedient life that no other person could live. All through the Old Testament, nobody could do that. Nobody could obey God's law perfectly and enter in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus can perfectly obey the Father. He perfectly obeys the law. And he lives a perfect life that no other person could because, again, he is God in the flesh and God can't sin. And so he's not, he lives a perfect, obedient life. And as he lives that obedient life, he also teaches people, as we've been looking at the book of Matthew, he teaches people that the kingdom of God is here. And in order to be part of that kingdom, you need to follow the king. And he says, I am the king. Follow me. That is where eternal life is found. That is where salvation is found. Jesus teaches that as he's here. So he not only lives the perfect life that we couldn't live, but he also teaches us how we should follow him. So we see Christ enters, but then not only did he stop there. Yes, he came as God in the flesh. He lived that life that we couldn't live. And he taught us what it meant to follow him, but then he died for our sins. He was executed on the cross even though he was innocent of sin. You see, he didn't do anything to deserve the death that he was going to get because he needed to pay the penalty. He needed to take the punishment. He needed to take God's wrath by dying on the cross so we would not have to for those who will trust in him. And that's what he comes to do. He not only lives that perfect life and teaches what it means to follow him, but he dies on the cross as a criminal. He takes the weight of our sin so that we could be forgiven. Remember, the punishment for sin is God's wrath Death, that is separation from a relationship with God. And what happens, Jesus says, I'm going to take that punishment for you. I'm going to die for you. This is the good news of the gospel. 
Paul says Christ died for our sins and was buried. He was truly dead. He truly died for us. He paid for our sin by taking God's wrath through the penalty of death. That is the truth we see through Scripture. We see that Jesus actually throughout Scripture in the New Testament is called the new Adam. Whereas Adam sinned and brought destruction and death to all people, Jesus now makes it possible to avoid God's wrath because he took our sin on himself, and not only did he take his sin or our sin on himself and pay that punishment for us, but then he in turn credited his righteousness to us. Romans chapter 5 is that's what it's all about. Romans chapter 5 tells us all about how not only did Christ take our sin and pay for it for us, but he says the perfect life that I lived, I'm going to give that to you. It's going to be yours. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin any longer, but he sees my obedience. And so that's called justification. We become, we are declared righteous in the sight of God, not because of anything we can do or because how good we can look, but because Jesus not only took our sin and said, I'm going to pay that penalty, I'm going to take that punishment for you, but I'm also going to give you the life that I lived, the righteousness that I have, I'm going to pour it into you. That's what we see in Romans chapter 5. That's what we see. So when, when we read this, Christ died for our sins, there's a lot there. It's not just a simple death. A lot of people have died for other people. But only one person has died for the forgiveness of sin. Only one person has died to bring righteousness to us, and that is Jesus himself. And so this is, as we say, Jesus died for our sins and was buried. It's not just uh, a, a words we say, but it's a truth we must hold on to. Jesus died for us. And as he did that, he gave us his righteousness. And that is the good news. Because we can't have a right relationship with God. We can't experience forgiveness and true life without Jesus doing this for us. And that's what he did. And that brings us to the last point that Paul says. Not only is the gospel according to the scriptures and Christ died for our sins and was buried... He rose again on the third day. He rose again on the third day. Jesus is not just another dead God or another dead leader of some movement. Jesus is alive. He has defeated death. He has defeated death. Death cannot hold us any longer. The defeat is already there and yet one day will be complete. But Jesus, as we even look through the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is going to talk about what the resurrection of Jesus means. There's a couple of things I want to draw out as we think about what it means that Jesus rose again on the third day. This is not just a fact. This is not just an Easter story. This is the gospel, the good news that Jesus rose again. Again, many of us might even stop at saying the gospel is Jesus died for us. But there's more to the gospel. The gospel, the good news, if Jesus just died and stayed dead, what good would it be? It wouldn't be. And so Jesus rises again the third day. And that means a couple things for us. First of all, Romans 6, 1 through 4, just want to jot that reference down, but Romans 6, 1 through 4 tells us that because Jesus rose again, we can live a new life in him. See, Jesus, when he died and then when he rose again, he, he not only defeated physical death, but he also showed that as, as his followers, because we're united to him, as he died and rose again, we die to sin and live to new life. And so he allows us to live a new life in a new relationship with God that we wouldn't be able to live without him. Without his resurrection, we can't live that new life because he hadn't been able to defeat sin and death, but he has. And so he rose again and he says, now you can have new life. But doesn't, not only that, but also we see that through his resurrection, we will live forever with him. We will live forever with him. This is eternal life. 
And it's given to us here. And again, 1 Corinthians 15, I would encourage you to read the whole thing. Um, Some of it gets a little confusing, but the idea is Jesus rose again, so it proves that we will also rise again. That is really the point, that Jesus rose again to show that death has no power over him and death has no power over us. That is good news. We live in a world that is saturated with death, but it will not hold us down because we have Jesus and Jesus has overcome death. That is the good news. We can live forever with him and we will live forever with him. The final judgment on sin and death that we're told at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 is coming will create a new heaven and a new earth that'll be free from sin. It'll be free from its effects. So part of the gospel is to look forward to say, and part of Jesus rising again isn't just a historical fact, but Jesus rising again points us to the future. That as he brings new life, we will have life forever. That is the hope that we have. That is what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. By the way, that's also what the whole book of Revelation is all about. The whole book of Revelation isn't about a list of things that we can try to figure out when the end of the world is coming. That's not the point. The whole book of Revelation is about, hey, things are going to end. Jesus is coming back, and then you're going to be with him forever. And so the whole Bible, again, so we've looked at the whole Bible. we looked through the Old Testament, the Gospels of the life of Jesus, all the epistles that would tell us about how to apply these things to our lives. And, and the book of Revelation says Jesus is coming again. And the salvation that we receive as people from sin It continues on and on forevermore as we will be free from sin and its effects forever once he comes again and recreates the world. And so in a nutshell, and I know that might be not so much a nutshell, (laughs) this is the gospel. The Bible says there's a God. He created us. He deserves our love and our honor. But man, we, 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 we ruin that through sin, through our rebellion and that we need saving, and that Christ comes in to save us through his death and his resurrection. That is the gospel. And he will one day come and set all things right. You guys will notice that on the back of your note sheets, there's a couple paragraphs. And I'm not going to go through all these right now. These are for you to read and for you to take in for yourself. But I wanted to give like a condensed version of what I just said. And, and, I've, and I've seen some other pastors do this. David Platt is one, but I've seen others do it as well, where they actually define the gospel using the word gospel. So this is an acrostic, G-O-S-P-E-L, and it kind of just gives a summary of what the gospel is. So I would encourage you to hold on to that, maybe put it in your Bible. I'm not saying that's perfect. Other people would probably explain it different than me, and that's fine, uh, because uh, as long as the main truth is in there, that's what's important. But if you need to be reminded of the gospel, read that sheet. If you need to share the gospel, you need to read that sheet because it might help just remind you of what the gospel is all about. And so that's just there for your use uh, if you prefer to use it. Now, at this point, there's one other thing I want to do. It's going to give my voice a rest. Uh, It's going to give you your ears a rest, for me at least. And uh, there's a video that's out there uh, online. And again, probably not perfect, doesn't tell the gospel perfectly, but is very, very close uh, into what we just talked about. And it's about five minutes long. I want all of you to watch this. It's about the storyline of the Bible, how it all points to Jesus, how the whole Bible is the gospel. And so again, I want to remind us, as we want to know the gospel, we need to know his word. And then we're going to come back, and I'm just going to draw three uh, implications for missions from what we've been talking about. So with that being said, I'm hoping the video works. It's technology. We'll see. But let's watch that for a
the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story. There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is that story. How did it all begin? Like all stories, this one begins in the beginning with the author, who is God. He spoke everything into being. With a word, galaxies appeared with stars and planets. Earth was designed for life to flourish. Everything God made was gloriously good and breathtakingly perfect. The highlight of God's creation was the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God entrusted everything he created to his beloved children, giving just one rule. They were not to eat fruit from a specific tree. They lived in loving obedience, worshiping God as their heavenly father and enjoying perfect harmony with creation, each other, and God. Considering our world today, its obvious perfect peace didn't last. Turmoil, war, sickness, troubles. We each have our share. What went wrong? It started when a fallen angel named Satan grew jealous of God and determined to ruin the perfection of creation. Satan took the form of a serpent and enticed Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and rebel against his one rule. In disobedience, they ate the fruit, and peace unraveled, ushering in sin and death, which still plagues us today. If we are honest, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We all rebel against our Heavenly Father, making our hearts heavy with fear, guilt, and shame. Our bodies are weary with sickness, disease, and death. Earth is afflicted with storms, calamities, and disasters. Even worse, sin has separated us from God, causing a permanent divide, a miserable separation called hell. The fallout of sin has been catastrophic. It's inescapable with no way to fix it, leaving us all to wonder, is there any hope? The love that prompted God to create us also prompted him to send a savior who would set everything right again. As centuries passed, God shared exact details of the coming Savior's birth, life, and death. Everything in the Bible points to this rescuer. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as God the Son to fulfill the promise. He was born miraculously, as his mother was a virgin. Just like us, Jesus grew up and experienced life on earth. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned and always obeyed the Father. When Jesus was in his 30s, he began teaching all around Israel, pointing people to God's kingdom and performing many miracles. After a few years, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to an agonizing death on a cross. Jesus lovingly gave up his perfect life as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. He died a perfect death, taking our place, the innocent for the guilty. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days later, God brought Jesus to life again. Jesus defeated sin by dying on the cross and defeated death 
by rising from the dead. Today, Jesus sits at God's right hand as king and judge over all creation. This is the story of rescue God has authored. He invites us, through repentance and faith, to make his story of rescue the one we trust in and live from. When we do, everything changes. And now, what will the future hold? For everyone who trusts in Jesus alone for rescue, God has promised to restore your heart and set you free from sin's hold. Because God is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, tender-hearted, and true. God has also promised to make all things new. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, forever free from sin. Everything that causes pain and sadness will be gone. God has also promised to be with us forever. The moment you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is restored because Jesus has closed the divide sin caused. Getting to know this all-loving God starts today and continues forever. For God's story never ends. You can make God's story the foundation of your life even now by admitting your need for God's rescue, asking forgiveness for your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you, following Jesus in faith from this moment on. This is God's story. Will you make it yours? So if you didn't listen at all to what I had said, hopefully that will remind you of the gospel that the whole book points to. So let's talk about a few implications this morning. My clock says 12.02, but I'm assuming it's 11.02. Some implications of the gospel message specifically for missions. Specifically for missions. 1 Corinthians 15.1 and 2, let's go back there. This this is where this video ended. But I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We're also going to be looking at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is also going to play into what we're going to talk about in just a moment. So let me just read these verses and say a few words about them. Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how now are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has heard heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ. All right, so in these two passages, I'm going to draw three things. And I'm going to do it all at once, and then we're just going to kind of put it all together. But the implications of the gospel, so what we just talked about, what the whole Bible points to of, of what redemption really comes down to and how new, the good news in the midst of the bad news, all of it comes down to this. It needs to be, the gospel must be received, 
the gospel must be believed. I would probably actually inverse those, but and the gospel must be preached. Those are the three things we're going to talk about. That the gospel, if it's true, if, since it's true, since all the Bible is pointing us to this gospel, what needs to happen with it? And that is that it must be received, it must be believed, and it must be preached. You see, a lot of times, even when the gospel is talked about, it's the gospel, it says, well, this is the gospel. You need to admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus to save you. And the, pro- the point is, is that the whole salvation part, that is the gospel. That's the good news. Now you just need to make the good news your own by receiving it. And so this is an implication of the gospel, and this is for missions, because the whole world needs to believe and to receive the gospel. To believe and to receive the gospel for themselves. That is what the whole New Testament points us to. There needs to be a receiving and a believing. We just looked at it in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Talked about how we need to re- we have received the gospel because we believed in it. And so I, I, I like this illustration when I talk about the gospel a little bit. And, it's the, and now maybe it's a little more pertinent than it used to be. But like imagine there was a disease that spread through the whole earth that no one was immune from and that would kill everyone. A, a disease that was everywhere. No one could get away from it. No amount of precautions could ever be made to keep you away from getting this disease and dying. In fact, everyone has the disease and there is no hope except that it's going to kill you. If this disease is true, and yet then there's someone who discovers the cure, discovers the cure, and finds a way to put it in a pill form, and now they have this pill, that if anybody takes this pill, it will heal them from their disease, and they will no longer die. Now, that would be good news, right? It would be good news if we heard all over the bad news would be, hey, just let everybody know there's a disease in the world and we're all going to die. That's very bad news. But then, if the next news cycle, you turn on your TV and it says, oh, so-and-so has developed this pill. And it's been proven, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this pill will not only remove the disease, it'll also cure you from death. Like, you're not going to die from this disease. It's going to cure you. And so, this is good news. But listen, this news is not good unless it's received. If a bunch of pills just sat on a shelf and nobody ever took them, then what would be the point of the good news? Uh, and, and so as we talk about believing and receiving, I think about it this way. Like, if, if someone were to tell me, uh, listen, you need this pill. First of all, I need to understand. I need to believe a couple of things. I need to believe that I'm actually dying or I'm not going to take that pill. So the first thing about the gospel is we're reminded that God created us and we've sinned and rebelled. And so therefore, we're going to die. We need to believe that. And believe that we can't be good enough to make up for that. There's no amount of good we can do. I need to believe that I am a sinner in need of a Savior before I can receive the good news. So that's one thing I need to believe. I need to believe that I need that pill. But not only do I need to believe that I need that pill because I have a need, but I also have to believe that that pill is actually going to save me. I need to not only believe that I need this, but I need to believe that what I'm going to take is actually going to work. And so the belief is true when we come to Jesus. We look at Jesus and we say, I need to believe that I need him, and I need to believe that he can actually save me the way he says he will and has. And we believe, that's how we believe. And so we need to believe it. But then if that's where it stopped, if I sat there and looked at that pill and I said, I believe that I need that pill. 
you know what? I believe in my mind that if I take that pill, it's going to save me. But then I just walked out of the doctor's office and never took the pill. What good does it do? That's where the receiving part comes in. It's saying, Jesus, I believe I need you. Jesus, I believe that you've saved me if I trust in you. And that's where we receive him. We, would trust, we receive Jesus through a couple of things. Romans 10 says, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's, it's the idea of seeing Jesus as the Lord he is and calling upon him for salvation. Saying, yes, I know I need salvation. I know you can save me. And God, would you save me? Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And it says, believe in, that the God has raised him from the dead. So there's where the receiving and the believing comes together. We believe the truth of the gospel and so we receive it. And we say, God, save me. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through faith and repentance is what the Bible says. The video mentioned that. Faith and repentance are a theme throughout Scripture. And a lot of times we can get really confused here because repentance will be talked about and people will say, well, see, in order to be saved, you have to clean up your act. You have to live a better life before you can really know Jesus. But that's not the point of repentance. The, the real key of repentance is to turn. And so I think I've said this before from the pulpit, but really when we're talking about how do you receive Jesus, you trust and you turn. You trust in Jesus for what, that he can live, that everything we talked about with the gospel, that he died for your sins, that he lived so that you can be seen as righteous, you trust that, but then in the midst of trusting Jesus, you're turning to him. It's, it happens at the same time. Because if you really trust in something, you will turn to it. Like, that's kind of the whole point with that pill. If you think about it, like, I, I'm going to, I, I could say, you know what, you know what, I think I'm going to continue just to live my diseased life, and I think, you know what, I'll take some painkillers and make it better. No, that's not the point. In order to receive, you've got to turn to that doctor and say, yes, I want it, and, and to trust that what you're getting is actually going to save you. And so you trust in Jesus. You trust in everything he is, everything he's done, but then you also, and while you trust him, you're turning from everything else. It's just natural. It's like when you get married, right? So if you, you, you're, you're trusting your spouse and you're saying, I'm going to give myself to you, and while you do that, you're turning your back on every other potential spouse because they're not who you're for anymore. You turn to your bride or you turn to your groom and you, you forsake all others. And that's the idea of repentance. You say, I trust you, Jesus, so I'm going to turn to you. And so we turn and we trust, repentance and faith. And as that happens, then we receive the salvation that God has bought through his death. We receive the justification that he has given us through his life. And we have eternal life to live with him forever. So, we must, so the gospel must be received and believed. And it's not just for us here. It's for everyone in all the world. In the jungles of Papua New Guinea, to the streets of New York City, it doesn't matter, the whole world needs this message. The whole world needs this message, which brings me to the last point as we talk about missions. The gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. That's what Romans 10 talks all about. Even in 1 Corinthians 1 or 15, Paul says, I preach this to you. Actually, when you look through the New Testament, you'll see almost every, and the Old Testament, every time you see the word gospel or new, good news talked about, it's almost always attached to something being preached. And that makes sense. So let's go back to my illustration with the pill that will save us from the disease. Let's suppose that, that that pill was developed and that scientist, that, that doctor that developed just decided, you know what, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'll take it for myself. You know, if somebody comes to me and uh, specifically asks for it, yeah, I guess I'll give it to them, but I'm not going to go out and like offer it to people. I'm not going to tell people. 
No, what would happen in that situation is already what I said. It would be on the evening news. It would be on every news station. wouldn't matter if it's CNN, Fox News, or whatever it would be. It didn't matter. It would be the same story everywhere. Everywhere you'd go, you'd turn on the radio, you'd turn on the TV. There'd probably be people running through the streets. Hey, you need to take this pill if you want to live. It's got to be announced. It's got to be preached. It's got to be told people need to know. And so when we talk about missions in the gospel, well, it's one thing to believe the gospel. It's another thing to tell others. Because the gospel won't have its saving power if it's not preached. I mean, the power is there, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying it won't be applied to people unless they hear it, as Romans 10 says. How are they going to know? How are they going to call upon the Lord to be saved if they're not told? And how are they going to be told if nobody tells them? That's the point. So we talk about missions, we talk about the gospel. It is the message of missions. It must be preached. This is what missions is all about. Preaching the gospel to the whole world so that people from all nations will believe in Jesus, what he has done, and call out to him for salvation. Anything else is temporary and useless. In other words, when we're thinking about missions and we're thinking about the missionaries we support or we're thinking about how we are going to contribute to missions or when we think about how we are going to be missionaries in our own circles of influence, the preaching of the gospel must be centered. But unfortunately, a lot of worldly missions have become more about making people's lives better. And I'm not saying that of our missionaries. I believe most of our missionaries, if not all, I, uh, are, are preaching the gospel daily. But there are some missions ideas out there that if we just go and we give them clean water or, or make things better for them or, or feed them when they're hungry and do all these right things and help them, out of, out, have them, help them have a better life, then that's what missions is about. But that's not what missions is about. Missions is about the, the gospel. It's about giving them eternal life, not just physical, comfortable life here. And so I think a lot of us, sometimes we settle and say, you know what, I'll do missions or I'll see other people doing missions and say, well, it's good enough just to help people live better lives. Think about that illustration with the pill. Would it be better for a doctor if he knew he had the cure to say, you know what, I have this cure, but it's probably going to be better for you if you just take Tylenol, because it's going to make you feel better for a long time. And yeah, you'll still die, but you'll feel better in the process. That's not helpful. So we need to make sure that we are committed as a church to the gospel of Jesus Christ, committed to preach the gospel, not only ourselves, which of course we are all missionaries and we should be preaching this message. We should be preaching this message. Don't think that you have a get-out-of-jail-free card because you give a lot of money to our missions budget. By the way, give money to our missions budget. (laughs) But that doesn't get us out of our responsibility to preach the gospel. The gospel needs to be preached because it's the best message. It's the greatest story ever told. That is the message of missions. And so my questions as we close, and I know I've gone a little long and I apologize. First of all, have you received this true gospel message? Have you received it for yourself? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you, turned, have you trusted Jesus and turned from everything else, from your sin and your life, your, your way of living? Have you turned to Jesus? Have you trusted him with your life? Do you believe in this message? Do you truly believe it? Not just believe it up here, but truly believe it and live it and know it. Are you believing the true gospel message? Even as a Christian, do you really believe it? Uh, we were in a men's conference uh, a couple weeks ago, and that was one of the things that I remember what the speaker said at the end was, it's one thing to say you believe the gospel, but do you actually, really believe it? Because if we really believe this message, 
It's going to transform how we live. It's going to transform how we feel. And it's going to transform how we talk. So do we truly believe this message? We need to ask ourselves that. And finally, are we preaching the true gospel message? Are we preaching it? So when we give to missions, when we pray for missionaries, when we go out on our own, is it for the goal of the gospel so that all people will worship God as a result of the gospel, the work he's done in their lives? And so we need to receive, believe, and preach the gospel. That is the message of missions, and that's what we need to do. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that you've given us together this morning. I pray that you would make the gospel message true in our lives and in our hearts. Help us to truly receive this and know this and trust this. But God, in the end, it's not just a message, it's you. God, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to turn to you? Would you help us believe in you? God, that's the ultimate thing. The gospel message as we started today, it is all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do, but it's all about you. Would you remind us of this daily? To live in your grace, to live in your love, to live in light of the good news that you have given us of the gospel. Would you help us to live in it and out of it and from it and to it and all those things, Lord? Because you are the one that we've, we honor. You are the one we believe. You are the one we follow. And I pray that that would be true of all of us in this room today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we are going to take communion, and I hope you understand why now. What we're about to do, if you do.